This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, the voice of Harlem. If you are just tuning in, this is Stanley Fritz, the king of the PC ones and twos. I am here with Selena Bass God Hill and Alyssa Mother Loving (laughs) Fuchs. We are here talking about all the things you want to hear. Earlier today, we were talking about the young lady at Spring Creek High School who was... Spring Valley. Pardon me. Spring Valley High School who was chokeslammed, hyperbole obviously, who was slammed to the floor and tossed by a police officer who works in the school. I don't think it's hyperbole to say chokeslam. I think that's what (laughs) happened. Yeah, yeah. He picked her up while she was still on the desk. Yeah, that's right. I guess he did chokeslam her. He chokeslammed the young lady. And then we talked about how his behavior and what's happening in public schools across the U.S. is an example of what's perpetuating the school-to-prison pipeline. Then we had the Great News Roundup where we talked about the Republican debate and why they're mad at NBC or CNBC or whoever, and they pulled out of that. And now we come here at this very moment to talk about the budget. Did you hear the song that I was playing before I started talking 77 words per minute? It was Prince. It was This Could Be Us. This could be who we could be if you would just stop playing. The Democratic and the Republican Party have been singing that to each other for the last seven years. The Republican Party is like, hey, this could be us, but why are you friends with that black guy? How did he get here? And the Democratic Party has been like, hey, we don't really like black people, but they vote for us. So we at least have to say things that make them happy until we get in office and totally ignore all of their demands. Does that include the black president? The black president, he gets a pass because he's black. So shut your mouth, Alyssa. I'm just curious. <laughs> and the black guy has been like, hey, um, I'm the captain of the ship. And we actually had to do things. And, and you white people can't keep trying to run it for yeah, me. Like, I got this. You can, I got this. You can't give me the job and tell me I'm doing it wrong before I get the chance to do it. And then when I do it right, still tell me I'm doing it wrong. But anyways, throughout the seven years, everyone's been saying this could be us, but you keep playing. And every year, the Republican Party just got a little bit crazier. They were saying this could be us cutting food stamps mm. and benefits for people who need it. But you keep playing. You want to care about people. This could be us cutting funding for veterans who need medical assistance. But you keep playing. This could be us destroying the economy and possibly the world by bombing people because we think that they might be doing bad things. But we're not sure because we don't have any empirical evidence. But you keep playing. But then something happened. John Boehner. The Republican Speaker of the House, the man who I suspect is a raging alcoholic, the man who douses his body in orange-flavored, orange-colored juice every single morning, the man who will cry because he's crying and makes him want to cry more, decided that he wanted to step down from Speaker of the House and resign because he got tired of pretty much pandering and trying to acquiesce or give the crazy people in the quote-unquote Freedom Caucus every single thing that they wanted. What did they want? Barack Obama gone, obviously. Obamacare repealed. They want to shut down the government. We shouldn't pay any taxes. We shouldn't pay any bills. No more rights for the black people. Just kidding. They haven't actually said that. Maybe have but a they bit. probably think it. They probably think it. And they definitely um, want to shut down Planned Parenthood. Yeah, shut down Planned Parenthood. No immigration reform. Build the wall using Mexicans to build the wall, then throw them over the wall, then electrify the wall with black people. And John Bannon was like, hey, this isn't going to work anymore. So he stepped down. And then what happened then was a whirlwind of nonsense that I can only say if we're off air and the FCC is not listening to us. And it starts with an F and it ends with the Y. Hey, you know, Republicans, if you want to find an agency to shut down, maybe you can shut down the FCC so we can say what we want on the radio. We we found an agency that that, that you can shut down. They they can probably find us for saying that too, Alyssa. No, I don't think so. First Amendment, baby. That's right. First Mother Loving Amendment. Except for the F word and the B word, in other words. But anyways, I digress. 
So now John Boehner trying to step down and all of a sudden you have all these people who are trying to become the next speaker of the house and they can't because the Freedom Caucus, the crazy folk, keep blocking them. So John Boehner finally gets his BFF, Paul Ryan, to run for Speaker of the House. But not before Paul Ryan says, I will only do this job if you give me enough time to spend with my family because family time is important unless you are not white and not named Paul Ryan and a part of the Paul Ryan family. But only if you have money because yes. if you're poor, you're not allowed to have any and family time. And only if time. you have money. And he also doesn't want to do some of the other work that is required to do other speaker because, hey, why not? But he wants all the money and the perks of it. Yeah, he wants you to work three jobs if you're poor so that you can afford to eat and don't get food stamps and not spend any time with your family. Food stamps are for lazy people who don't care about America. So anyways, John Boehner, who knows that he has to make sure Paul Ryan can get through this process easier, decides that he is going to do something that no one in the Republican Party has done for at least seven years. He is going to negotiate with the president, knowing that he's not going to get everything that he wants, but that the president's not going not to get everything that he wants as well. It was John Boehner, just that, so you know. That's what I said. Okay, just wanted to make so, sure. And he also knows that the Freedom Caucus is going to push back on this. And a lot of Republicans are going to push back on this. So he's going to need Democrats to vote in favor. And what you got was a budget deal that not only makes some kind of sense, has some cuts to entitlements, does bring up the budget a little bit, gives some money to the military, and have has both sides who are at least thinking logically saying, wow, this isn't a bad deal. And now... After all these years of saying this could be us, we are actually at that point. So today on this show, at this moment, we will talk about this budget deal, figure out how the hell we got here and break down the bill. Because if you're at home right now and you're wondering what the hell does this budget deal mean and how does it help and or hurt me, we're going to answer those questions for you. And if you're a farmer, sorry. And if you're a student who owes money, sorry. But if, if you're you, a senior. So you're a senior, maybe. <laughs> and... <laughs> And if you owe money to the, to the, to the government, sorry, you're going to get some what? extra phone calls. Some- but overall, we're going to have a good deal. So now, guys, we're going to kick it into gear. And let's talk about this damn budget. Listen. Yeah, there's something to be said about the fact that, you know, I mean, listen, obviously, I think we should care for our seniors. That's like a given. Um, But there's something going to be said about the biggest winner, as far as I can tell, in this is the seniors and the connection between the fact that seniors vote and young Mm, people don't. And I think that really says a lot about political prowess. And when it comes to budgeting process and making sure that the people who are your most reliable voting block are also getting um, things. But I, I totally agree with you and the, and the compromise aspect of the budget. It's definitely a compromise. We say all the time in my office that a compromise with a settlement, at least, and with a budget, too, is when both parties walk away from the table feeling unhappy that they didn't get everything they wanted. Um, but there's also some issues with this budget, as far well, as I can be- see. Before we get to the issues, let's talk about just some of the things that we can expect from this budget. So according to the deal, it's going to increase spending by $80 billion over two years and raise the federal debt ceiling, averting a default of the Treasury, which the Treasury Secretary had warned would happen early next week, this week in November. So what this means is that for the next two years, we're not going to have to worry about raising the debt ceiling because it has been raised until 2017. This bill has been voted on and approved. It's just waiting for the president to sign it, which I think he has done or will do within the next day or so. The measure also calls for a corresponding budget cuts to avoid increasing the, de- the deficit so that they're cutting funding to some places so the deficit doesn't raise too much higher. But they're doing it in a way that is smart. 
So one of those ways is payments to doctors over healthcare providers. They're going to be lowering those some of those subsidies, and they also are giving a loan to Medicare and Social Security so that families do not have to see an increase in their in their deductibles of what they would have to pay. So that's why you're talking about the win for some of these older folk over here. And effective immediately, about 90% of the sequestration budget cuts from the non-defense discretionary program. So um, 90% of the cuts that happen to programs that are not defense are going to be restored to, to some level. Not com- to the complete levels they were before, but they are being restored, which is a huge win for the Democrats, as we all know, because this includes um, SNAP benefits. This includes subsidies for programs like Head Start and job training. Yes, Selena Danilisa. Okay, I just want to say there's also a win for the Republicans because $40, million, excuse me, $40 billion will also be going into defense spending yes. and t- towards building up our military. So that's a win. But, I mean, I really didn't understand why Republicans were complaining so much. I know they kept saying that, oh, we're overspending, this shouldn't be happening. But if you think about it from, like, a purely simplistic form— $40 billion is going towards domestic programs, which Stanley has said that uh, Democrats have been championing. And then $40, million towards, $40 billion towards defense. So, I mean, it was, you know, everyone won, but everyone also lost. Right. No, absolutely. And, you know, here's the thing. And that's that's like, you know, obviously you already mentioned some of the things that I was going to mention about increased funding to a head start. This is why Republicans are mad. Republicans are mad, or at least some of them, mostly of that in the Freedom Caucus, because they don't think the government should spend any money, one, Um So if you think they care about you and they say they care about seniors, they care about veterans, they don't. Um, The only thing maybe the government should spend money on as far as they're concerned is the military because, uh, you know, they wouldn't want to be blamed. They want to be able to blame the black guy if something happens uh, that, you know, leaves America less safe. Even if so, they they can't be like, oh, well, you know, we gave the uh, the budget to the military. So there's money there. Although they the military got even more money than the military actually even asked for. Um, I mean, the uh, it's like eight billion dollars more than the military actually even needed. Uh, so eight billion dollars that could have gone into Head Start or other programs where funding was increased, uh, you know. But I, I agree. I, I, the winners and the losers are hard. Here's the here's the other thing about House the House Freedom Caucus and something I was talking about with Stanley before we came on the air, which is. The federal government's budget is not like your home budget. They talk about this budget as if it's your budget at home. And and yes, it's and it's totally different. When you're at home and you're making your budget for the next week, the next month, the next year, you're looking at how much money do I have going coming in and how much money do I have going out in bills and you want to make sure that the money you have coming in is more than the money you have coming out so that you're so in the black so to speak that you're not running a deficit. But governments are different. They're big and they're large and there's lots of different expenditures and almost every government on the planet runs a deficit and actually in some respects deficit spending is actually good for governments uh so it's different and so i hate when republicans use this analogy as though you know the federal budget it should be treated like your home budget because they're not the same things and that's a big thing that people should understand in this process yeah no you're absolutely right um i think Alexander Hamilton, I think, was our first um, Treasury Secretary. He was the one that said it's good to have a bit of a deficit or to have a bit of some debt because as long as you're paying it, it shows that you're you're reliant and, like, you have consistent, like, history of, like, being able to pay your bills, which will allow you to borrow if you need to if something ever happens because things like that may happen. But while we were talking about this, one of the potential winners of this budget deal, Brother Omar, is calling, and he wants to tell us his point of view about what the seniors may have or have not gotten from this deal. Brother Omar, let your voice be heard. Okay, good morning, and good morning to the ladies. 
Uh, first of all, you know, it's heartbreaking. I, I'm a senior here in Harlem, and uh, there's over 65.7 million seniors who rely on Social Security. This is the second time in the Obama administration that seniors would not be getting uh, a raise in their mo- monthly uh, benefits due to the fact now get this, because oil prices have gone down. Many of us don't even have a car. Yeah. We get around on, on bicycles. Second of all, uh, here we are, and I don't know if you talked about this, the administration is sending uh, troops now, 50 they claim, over to Syria. So that, uh, as advisors, I remember the Vietnam War. We were told we were going over there as advisors. So touch on that fact. How is it that they're cutting back? The, the Social Security, and once again, the second time in, in, uh, in the last uh, 10 years that this has happened, and yet sending, quote, underline, advisors to Syria to, uh, to start another war over there. I'll hold up and uh, listen to your response, and have a beautiful God-blessed day. Thank you, Brother Omar. Thank you so much, Brother Omar. I just want to um, bring kind of um, turn back to what he was talking about. So what Brother Omar is talking about is the cost of living adjustment. So what would happen in an ideal world is that every year, people who receive Social Security would have an increase in their benefits to adjust for the cost of living. The average Social Security um, family is getting between six to $800 a month, and you would hope to increase that because there are very few people who can survive off of six to $800 a month. And a lot of these seniors now have to start working, but if they work more than, say, 16, 17 hours, they can lose their Social Security because the government sees it as them doubling up, and that's not cool because they would like to survive. Now, in regards to the Syria comment, one of the things that was agreed upon in this deal was funding to go towards non-war military actions. So when Brother Omar is talking about Syria and them sending advisors, it actually does connect back to the budget because they explicitly made sure they put money in the budget so at the president's discretion they could have funding to do certain things like what they're doing in Syria, which is sending over 50 advisors to be on the ground for an open-ended amount of time. Alyssa? Yeah, it you know it reminds me of a line that Tupac famously said once, which is, we have money for war, but not money to feed the poor. Um, obviously, he was a lot more eloquent. Uh, you know, just also in response to the comment from Brother Omar. I think that's a great point. One, not, you know, yes, uh, it does make sure that 70% of Medicare beneficiaries um, who have their premiums deducted automatically from their Social Security check will not see an increase. They were facing a 52% hike in Medicare premiums, and so it prevents that, which is great. But at the same time, you know, it's in that case you've won, but on the other case, as Brother Omar pointed out so rightly, um, Things are getting more and more expensive every right. single year, and yet it's also not being adjusted upwards in that right. So it's like, yes, they won, but they also lost. And, and I did not consider that, and I think that was a great comment. So I'm glad that he called in and um, uh, and brought that up. And, and I think he's absolutely right about the Syria thing, is that we constantly have money to spend on right. war, but yet we cut, 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 cut when it comes to domestic. talking about how we are spending domestic money to help out people who are living in poverty right here in America. That's a really good point, Alyssa. And one of the great things about this budget deal was that it was actually negotiated in good faith. But if you look at it, one of the things that it did do was it pretty much ceded the, the Democratic Party and President Obama ceded the sequestration cuts that the Republican Party wanted all along. Because what happens is, even though you do get some increases, a lot of those 
decreases that happen, they're never going to be recovered to the levels that they were before. So you're, you're still starting from a, a way harder point, and there are a lot of people who are still hurt from this. What it does is like promises that you're not going to have a situation where the government is shut down for another 16 days like I was in 2013, so now people can't get their Social Security benefits, but... We're still there's still a lot of other like a lot of bigger problems that we are not necessarily facing. So, guys, we do have to go on a quick break. And when we get back, I want to talk about the politics of this, because we've been saying this is a pretty good deal. But then a lot of Republicans have been saying that this is a bad deal. They have been saying that this is hurting the economy and they are saying that it's not good for anybody, including Americans who support President Obama. So when we get back, we'll talk about the politics of that and we'll talk about the budget in detail. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. Yeah, I was doing that a lot last night. I was like, yes. Really? Yeah. Why? I was being an idiot. Oh, <laughs> Why not? What else is new? Yes, hey, what? Bum, it's reckless. Bum. You remember that song? Which bum, one? Bum, bum, dun, 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 dun. Tequila. You know? uh, no, tequila's the devil, Alyssa. No, there's really a song called Tequila. It's oh. mostly like trumpets and it's a good song. Anyways, oh, okay. it sounds old. I was it is old. It's like a great song. It's like classic rock and roll song. Tequila destroyed my life last, last night, last this morning. Guys, we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, the voice of Harlem. If you are just tuning in, we are talking about the budget deal that came to be with President Barack J. Kwan Hussein Obama and John Orange Face Boehner, who is no longer the Speaker of the House. It is now Paul Ryan. Right. And if you have any questions, concerns, no curse words, you can give us a call at 212 650 and if you missed most of the show, you can check us out on iTunes Podcast at LYVBH Radio or on Scatter Radio, where we also have our shows airing, and you can make sure you listen to it. And then if you don't like what we say, you can start your own podcast where you speak at a level and at a speed that people can understand and not just spewing out word vomit like I do. But anyways, I digress. The, la- the first half of the segment, we were talking about the budget deal and some of the details within the budget deal. This part of the conversation, I really want to talk about the politics of what got us here and why people are um, so angry or not so angry about the budget deal one of the things that we kind of talked about or touched on briefly at the beginning of the segment was that a lot of republicans were coming out and saying how like bad this deal was how we signed a blank check to the president and they were going to vote against the bill or filibuster the deal as as hard as they could and Alyssa, you mentioned because they don't care about you and i wanted to bring another point that i think we all know but we don't talk about enough they don't like the deal because politics it's not that it's a bad deal. It's because it's politics. It looks bad for them to agree with anything that President Obama says because their bases don't want them to. Selena? But I also want to mention that, especially if you've been paying attention to the last GOP debates, Republicans have made it clear that they do not believe in government running any type of social entitlement program. They just... Uh, um, philosophically do not believe that is the best way to help American people. And that has been like one of their strongest arguments and strongest talking points. They said that once the government gets involved, it messes everything up. And that's not the way to help people, um, you know, quote unquote, pull up, pull themselves up by their bootstraps or, um, you know, advance and somehow be able to get the American dream or whatever. So, I mean, I think that if you have people who are coming from that perspective, which is 
so far right compared to what, you know, people on the left and what Democrats want to do, then it, it really is fundamentally hard to come together at a table and produce something that they can all agree to. And I do believe that they think it's a bad deal because that's where they stand. That's where their principles stand. Right. But, you know, there's also something to be said about what Stanley mentioned in their constituency because their constituency likes government shutdowns, despite the fact that their constituency <laughs> is, is so dumb as to not realize that a government shutdown actually costs the government money and is not yeah. fiscally conservative. But they like it because it obstructs what the president's trying to do. But, you know, how did we get here was the initial question that was posed. And so I want to at least make an attempt at surmising my reason why I think how you know, how, or how why I think we got here. And I think that's the reason we got here is because of John Boehner resigning, right? John Boehner knew that if he was going to stay the Speaker of the House, then he was not going to be able to get this budget deal done because he was going to have to stick around and he was going to have to deal with these members of the Freedom Caucus moving forward and that if he did something that they didn't like with respect to this budget deal, then they were never going to get on board with anything else and it was going to create more gridlock. So I actually think what John Boehner did was kind of smart. Once he said he was resigning, then he could basically turn to the Freedom Party Caucus his members and guess and basically say for lack of a better term f you i don't have to listen to you i'm not going to do what you want to do i'm going to do what i think is best i'm going to go deal with the president and guess what you want to unelect me unelect me because i'm quitting anyway slam down the gavel and you know who the other winner is is paul ryan because paul ryan didn't have to negotiate this deal he didn't have to deal with the political fallout of trying to negotiate it one and two this deal is very very close to the deal that he struck when he was the budget chair chairperson with patty murray back in december of 2013 um that basically partially restored some of the budget. Basically, that budget restored $63 billion in sequester funding. This deal restores about $80 billion in funding outside of the contingency budget. And if this deal passes, then the Ryan Murray bargain that they struck back in 2013 basically is getting extended to 2017. So now Ryan comes in and he can work on what he wants to work out without this government shutdown, debt ceiling, and budget fight looming over his head. So I think this all comes into play because John Boehner essentially yeah, resigns and gives the finger to the Freedom Caucus, which allows this deal to get negotiated. If John Boehner doesn't resign, this never happens oh, as yeah, far as I'm concerned. Definitely. I agree. It's, I want to push back on something Selena said, actually. I do agree with you, Alyssa. But not all Republicans think that the government completely cannot cannot work. That's more of a extreme libertarian, extreme, like, far-right Republican. It's not even a... It's the Freedom Caucus Yeah, people. that's not and even... And the people a, running for in the presidential election. No, no, that's them pandering. Only, this is only about three people who actually believe that on there. But that's not even a conservative principle. A conservative principle, the conservative principle is, like, things must happen slowly over time, and we shouldn't do things that's, that's going to, like, too, like, drastically affect the private sector, so businesses. This is just a... Like, most of the people within Congress who are Republicans actually should see this like this agreement pretty highly because what it does is it does put back some funding but it continues to push conservative and fiscally conservative principles and so overall for them it really should be a good deal what does this mean for the president though moving forward because paul ryan like Alyssa mentioned he didn't have to work on his bill he didn't have to get the political fallout it was very close to what he actually proposed two years ago and now he has the support of the crazy Republicans, of the not-so-crazy Republicans, and of the establishment Republicans. What does this mean moving forward for how the government is going to be run in relation to negotiating with the Speaker? Selena? Um, 
I think that I think it means I think it means something really good because the fact that Paul Ryan can start from a clean slate mm-hmm. and he doesn't have to deal with again like this burden of trying to get something passed. And I think that what he did was really good. The fact is, like, he didn't even want to take up this position. He did it reluctantly. More than likely, he had political aspirations to run for either president or vice president again. And going the pathway of the speaker doesn't necessarily, you know, get you there. And that's not what he wanted to do, especially because, you know, he's 45 years old. He's from Wisconsin. He lives pretty far from Washington. He has young children at home. So this is not what he wanted to do. But the thing is, he did do it. But before he did... He told the Freedom Caucus and he told the extreme fractions in the Republican Party that you have to support me. You have to back me. And this is the only way it's going to work. And some of those members even wanted him. A lot of moderates definitely wanted Paul Ryan to step up into this into this position because he was seen as the only person that could finally unite the Republican Party. I mean, there's so much um, controversy and just internal conflict going on in the Republican Party, which we have seen. And they've been very vocal and trying to oust John Boehner, Mitch McConnell. And I think I mean, I still don't think that they'll they're 100 percent happy with Paul Ryan. And I think they'll give him a lot of pushback. But I think that him coming into this position is good. Good for the American people. It's good for the Republican Party, and it can help us unify Congress. You I'm going to push back on that. Well, Alyssa, go uh, ahead. No, go you first. Thank you. So I'm, I'm going to push back on that, Selena, because he just promised and said out loud that there will be no immigration reform bill. So now these same immigrant communities we were hoping to get a bill for, he said it's absolutely not happening. I'll meet the press this morning to ask them what's one thing he can accomplish in the next six months. He couldn't come up with an answer. You know, so that's a good lead into where, I'm, where I was going to go with this. So I think actually that Paul Ryan is a big winner, politically speaking, in this situation. However, I would push back on what you said before about, you know, maybe things are going to start to get done or potentially. Or that was her. Okay, Um, because Paul Ryan is ungrateful. He said this deal stinks. He said that it shouldn't have happened behind closed doors. Um, He said that the whole process behind it, quote unquote, stinks. Um, And despite all that, you know, he is now not going to have any must pass legislation. Right. Congress still needs to pass the highway bill. But. You know, if they do that, then Ryan's going to get to spend his whole first year as Speaker of the House without any major spending standoff. And yet he's still saying that he doesn't like the process behind the deal. So the way I'm concerned or as far as I'm concerned, I don't necessarily think that this deal helps solve the gridlock at all. I think it helps solve the immediate problem of, you know, now we have a budget and we're not going to have to deal with a potential looming government shutdown and the debt ceiling fight again. But also and here's another important thing that I mentioned when I spoke on the phone with you guys on Thursday night, which is this is a a five year budget deal that goes through 2017, which means this is going to come up again right when the next person becomes president right after you know the election in 2016 and then the person gets sworn in january 20th of 2017 and then we're going to have to have the budget fight again so it pushes it off onto the next president instead of dealing with a long-term budget solution and you know what sometimes a 10-year budget doesn't work because things come up in that 10 years that the budget didn't account for but i mean we're talking about a budget solution that goes from now 2015 for two years this is still only a two-year budget it's not a five year budget. So it's just more of the same of kicking the can down the road and kicking the can down the road. And yeah, this is a little bit better than what we've normally gotten. But at the end of the day, you know, I think the one of the biggest losers is going to be the next person who comes in as president who's right. going to have to deal
deal with this right away instead of having a five-year balanced budget plan that, you know, will go from mid-presidency to mid-presidency. So we're constantly, you know, dealing with the problems by putting in these stopgap measures, even if the stopgap is a little longer this time, instead of saying, okay, let's sit down and figure out how we can budget our priorities over a longer period of time. Here's another question. What's the likelihood that we get a raise in the federal minimum wage now? Uh, what is you know that's a hard question because I don't necessarily wage. think that has to do with the budget. No, 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 because the budget is done now. So the question is because Paul Ryan is speaker. So like because you know the budget is done, he talked about it against it, obviously even though he he obviously like likes the budget deal, but now he's a speaker. So what does that leave us in regards to other things that are on the docket? You mentioned the highway bill, but what about federal minimum wage? Can we just kiss those dreams goodbye completely? You know I don't know. I can't. Can we let that play out a little bit? Yeah, I, 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 I would. I would want to see how he starts to really legislate. I mean, this is a new position for him. We can also, you know, look at his record. And, and but the thing is, even when you look at his record, he's been somewhat moderate in certain aspects. Some in certain things. Like in certain what? things. Like I mean, before he came out and said immigration reform is getting not gonna, nothing's going to happen. How where was he before? I feel like he he's, was. Against he was it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, if he was always that far on the right, yeah, I mean, listen, you know who we're talking Paul, about, right? Ryan, it maybe seems like a moderate, but he is nothing moderate about him. And actually, that's a perfect segue to a comment that we're getting on politically preposterous from a good fan of ours, Willie Rome, and who essentially speaks to that point. He says, "This has been the problem with the GOP for more than thirty years, and I find it hard to believe that the skunks are changing their stripes." And I agree. I, I, I just I think this is more of the same. I mean, Paul Ryan looks like he's he, he's a conservative in a moderate's clothes, essentially. Yeah. And like just going back to the budget deal, it does set that there's a certain level of spending that you have to reach every year. But it's up to Congress and and Senate and the president to, to fill in that budget That's and to correct. vote on it. What is likelihood that that gets done? You know, that that's a good that's a good point that that I think we're running out of time to address. But, you know, that's really going to depend on um the next election, isn't it? Yeah. Um, because the next time, you know, we're having this conversation again, uh, you know, it's going to depend on, you know, do Republicans win more seats? Do they lose seats in the House? What's mm-hmm. the composition of Congress? Um, do the Democrats take back the Senate? Uh, do, you know, who's in the White House? All of those things are going to come into play. So I think it's really hard to say right now. And I think that's a great point that you point out. Like this sends, sets the basic spending levels, but they're still going to have to do the nitty gritty job of budgeting every year, you know, to figure out where this money that's been block budgeted is going to go to different programs. And, and I think we're going to have to wait and see on that, depending on what happens in politics. But you know what? Our priorities as a country shouldn't depend on what happens in politics. We should have priorities in this country that are as, oh, above and beyond politics about caring for the most vulnerable in society. And we don't because Republicans. Selena? All right, so guys, we are going to wrap this segment up. I'm going to close out this conversation by just saying, showing you a story that I've gotten from this book that I'm reading about um, John F. Kennedy and Linda B. Johnson when they were trying to get the 1964 Civil Rights um, Act bill passed. Well, and as we know that John F. Kennedy was the one pushing it in the beginning. He was working with a couple of people in Congress and in Senate to make sure that the bill was framed in a way that could get it passed. In Congress, he had help from a, Repo- conservative, a conservative Republican who believed that we needed to get the Civil Rights Bill passed and was willing to do so, but only if the, cert- the framework they created was not altered in the Senate. And he worked very closely with this Republican, even though he was a Democrat, to make sure that happened. When Kennedy was assassinated, LBJ picked up that mantle and continued the same process. When they went into the Senate... 
Once it passed in Congress, it went into the Senate, and they fought filibusters every single day, and they fought to make sure that the bill could stay intact with the things they needed to have in there to pass. The Civil Rights Act was a bill that left many people happy, many people upset, and even more people unsatisfied because it felt like it didn't go far enough. And your opinions about that bill, you know, and I'm sure they vary, but that's not exactly what we're here to talk about. The reason I bring this up is because it was a time when you had something as vitriol and as controversial as civil rights, the Civil Rights Act for African Americans, where you had people in who are elected officials who adamantly did not like or believe that African Americans were human beings or deserved to be given equal rights to white people. And the bill was still negotiated, and it was done in good faith, and people left, both of them, unhappy, as Lisa likes to say, when you're talking about a good negotiation. But now, we had to pass a bill where we actually take care of the government and do the jobs that we're supposed to do. And we had seven years of people refusing to do their jobs. And we finally get a bill that looks reflective of something like negotiation, or at least a fair conversation, and no one really knows how to feel like it. I'm happy, guys, but we should be very cautious, because this next year and a half to two years will really tell us where we are and where we're going to go when it comes to the economy and to the budget. Until then, please stay informed. Please make sure you're asking questions, and we'll always be there, hopefully answering them. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you recall that long ago we were- 